Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And uh, I just pray this morning, Lord, as we study your word, Lord, that you would open our hearts, Lord, that we would have understanding, that we would have revelation, and that we would grow this morning, Father, particularly as we are are working through some of uh, the more difficult concepts in Scripture, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to understand and that uh, uh, that we would just we'd leave here closer to you, knowing you better. And Father, Lord, that your word would just have its desired effect in our hearts. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, all right, we're going to go ahead and continue on working through the Trinity. So you guys remember two weeks ago, I'm even going to talk fast. We've got a lot to get through. No distractions today. So we uh, uh, went through the Trinity. So two weeks ago, we started with uh, the idea of what the concept of the Trinity was. And everybody remembers what that is, is there is one God, three persons. The three persons are not the same, but they are all three equally God. If you, that's confusing to you, it's because you didn't listen to that message. It's online. Go and listen to it again. It'll help you out. Last week, we went ahead and talked about, we started working our way through the different persons of the Godhead. And what do we say the Godhead was? It's just the essence of God. The Godhead is just God. It's who God is. And the three persons of the Godhead is obviously God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about God the Father, who he is, what his role is. And the next two weeks we're going to start working through God the Son, who is Jesus. Now, We just talked about a difficult issue with the Trinity because we have three persons, one God that doesn't make sense. Um, Now we're dealing with another thing that's difficult uh, to understand because it's hard for us to relate to is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And he was both at the same time. Just like all three persons of God are one God at the same time, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And the Here's why, because in order to deal with our problems, how many know we got problems? Hallelujah. I got one, two, three, four, five. No, just kidding. (laughs) So, (laughs) but we got problems. And and the thing is, is for Jesus to deal with our problems, and and when I say problems, I'm not talking about the minor stuff we deal with on earth. I'm talking about eternal sized problems, the fact that, that we can't be right with God. But in order for Jesus to deal with those things, then he had to go ahead and, and be like us. He had to have, uh, and he was just like us when he walked this earth. He had human emotions. He had human thoughts. He lived a life that was just like ours with the same temptations, with the same struggles. And all the things that we go through, Jesus went through. That means you're in good company. And in order to save us, he had to become exactly like us. Because the, the reality is the salvation works like this. Jesus died on the cross for us. He swapped his life for us. And in order for him to swap his life for us, his life had to be the same as ours. He did not just take on a part of our humanity, but he took on the entirety of our humanity. And like I said, this, is, this kind of becomes difficult to understand. How could God become well and truly a man. This is one of those things that, that doesn't make sense. And it's, it's one of those things that we have to look at the Word and what the Word says, and we take it on faith. It's because it's what the Word says. This is one of the mysteries of God that has been made clear, not in, in, in how the mechanics of it work per se, not in practice, but it's become clear because it's what the Word of God specifically and clearly teaches, is that God was fully man, which we'll focus on today. And next week, we're going to focus on God was, or Jesus was also fully God, and we'll focus on that next week. 
And it's just like the Trinity in that sense, where it's like, well, it's what the Word of God says, even though we can't relate it. It doesn't make sense, but even if we can't fully understand the mechanics, as Christians, we look at the Word of God, we believe it's true, and if that's what the Word says, then that's just how it is. Amen? Amen. And the great part about this is that we've talked about the three different roles that the different persons of the Godhead fulfill in salvation. The Father was the one who created the plan and the design of salvation, but it was Jesus' Son who carried out that plan. And part of that plan was that He had to become like us so that we could have hope. He became a man like us with the same thoughts and emotions and problems. But the thing about Jesus that's different than all of us was that He lived a sinless life. And that gives us hope. Because when He trades His life for your life, that means that you can live like him. And that's something that we should all strive for every single day is to live like him. We should strive to live without sin. We should never give in to sin with the idea that, well, God will forgive me because that wasn't the purpose. The purpose of his sacrifice is so that you could live without sin, that you could live completely free. And we could have a life renewed. His life becomes our life because he took our broken life and he died with it so that we could have a new life inside of us. And with his life, we can live like he lived. 1 John 4.17 says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. This is a difficult concept for people to get their head wrapped around this idea that Christians can live without sin. Now, I recognize that it's not likely. I recognize that we're going to fall. I recognize that we're going to trip and we're going to stumble. I'm not saying that Christians will never sin, and if they do sin, that they're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is I believe, because of his life inside of us, that we can live without sin. And I'm thankful that if we do fall, we still have an advocate with the Father who was the same person that gave us his life. Amen? Amen. Let's get started. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, you understand that the Word right here is speaking of Jesus. So now we have Jesus who is the Word. And you remember the Word was God. The Word was with God, right? Now it says the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have this clear indication that Jesus became flesh. He became human. And this is such an interesting concept because particularly in that time, neither Greek philosophers nor Jewish teachers could conceive of the idea of the Word becoming flesh. It just it blew their mind. Since the time of Plato, Greek philosophers had emphasized that this truth, the Word, was invisible and, inter- and eternal, but most definitely not a person. And Jewish, uh, the Jews so heavily emphasized that a human could not become a God that they never even considered that God could become a human. They were so convinced that no human could ever become a God, which is true, by the way, You know, they were right. But they didn't even consider the possibility that God maybe would become a human. 
However, Jesus did that. He, he became flesh. He's, he was the Alpha and the Omega. You can read in uh, the, the book of Revelation, and unfortunately I wrote the wrong scripture down. I wrote Revelations 1.8, which is actually God saying I'm the Alpha and the Omega. But if you go a little bit further in Revelation, you'll see that Jesus says the very same thing, which is actually a note for next week because Jesus is fully God. But this God, the fully God, Jesus, he stepped down from his throne. He became flesh. Flesh and bone, just like you and I, he became fully human. And he was a real person who lived and who died. Did you know that the uh, Jesus living on this earth is one of the most uncontested uh, facts of history ever? Like, everybody agrees that he lived. They don't all agree on who he was, but they all agree that he lived. And the people that don't agree that he lived and, and say, oh, he was just a fairy tale or something like that, they're just ignorant. Because it doesn't take that much to look to realize that he lived. It's, it's documented everywhere. Religious sources, non-religious sources, he lived. But the primary difference between Jesus and every other man that was born is that he was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. He lived without sin. He was born without sin. He lived a sinless life. And that made him uniquely qualified to act as the sinless Lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice who could actually die for us. Amen? Philippians 2, 5-8 says that he emptied himself. Have this mind among you. This is verse 5. Uh, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, this seems pretty clear to me. God emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. He was born just like men in human form. Jesus set aside his deity in practice while he was on this earth. In other words, he didn't live as God while he was on this earth. And what I mean by he didn't live as God, not to say that he wasn't God, but to say that he didn't live in the full power of God. The, the, his deity, his power, he laid that aside to be just like us. He humbled himself to live as a servant. Philippians 2.6, the one we just read here, who though was in the form of God, did not kind of quality with God to be a thing to be grasped. If you read that in the Amplified Bible, you guys know what the Amplified translation is? It's just like the regular Bible, just louder. So, Philippians 2.6 says this, who although being essentially one with God and one in the form of God, and then in parentheses it says this, this is the amplified part, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God. So he was still God. He was in the fullness of God. He didn't think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. He laid it aside. He wasn't no longer God. He, did, he didn't stop being God, but he laid apart the deity and the power of God so that he could live just like us. In the Message Bible, which is Jan's favorite translation, <laughs> it's not really, I just like to tease her all the time. But it says this, he had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. 
He did not set aside his deity fully, but he, and he, like I said, he didn't stop being God, but he set aside the privileges and the powers associated with being God, which means that he became a man just like us, which means he became a servant for us. He chose to live just like us so that he could give his life for us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, that verse, when you think of it in that context, when you realize what it's actually talking about, it doesn't mean that, that Jesus gave away all his money. It means he gave away the powers and the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the association uh, of being God. He gave, a part, he gave that away. He became poor so that we could become rich. And how do we become rich? Because when he gives his life for us, we get eternal life. And he became our example as well because he lived as a servant. And all of Jesus' ministry, all he did was serve others. It was always for others, healing the sick, healing the demon-possessed, feeding the hungry, washing feet. He stepped down from amazing heights to the lowest of lows for us. You know, this is the kind of thing, it's not really part of my message, so don't let me get too off on this tangent, but this reality that God loves you so much that he set aside all of his authority and power and, and to be a man just like us so that he could give his life for us. He loved us that much. That much. That much. He loved us that much. And he did this also to be our example, to lay out the lifestyle that we're supposed to live. In Matthew 20, 26 through 28, Jesus said, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. That's the other great thing about Jesus. He didn't say, do what I say, not as I do. He said, do what I do. He said, look, if you want to be great, you've got to be the least. And then he did it. He gave up everything to walk on earth just like us. And the reality is, is that when we humble ourselves like Jesus humbled himself, then we're actually becoming great in the kingdom of God. We're actually living greatly. So we just took a look here and we see that, that the word of uh, the, the flesh, uh, the word of God became flesh. Jesus became flesh. God became flesh says that he laid aside his deity, he emptied himself, and he took on the form of human flesh. And, and if that's not enough to convince you that Jesus lived as a human, then we can begin to, to look at kind of the core mechanics of how it all works. Luke 2, 4-7 through 7 said, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Spoiler alert, talking about Jesus. That's the baby. This is Jesus. So we have Jesus being born. I want you to understand the implications of what that actually means. Jesus' conception was certainly supernatural, 
But it wasn't mythical. It wasn't, he didn't just appear. He didn't just show up at Mary's side. In other words, this actually happened. Jesus was conceived and he lived inside Mary for nine months as babies do and he was born just like every other human baby that has ever lived on this earth. Mary didn't walk in one day and find this mysterious package that a stork left on her doorstep and then got the message from the angel said, this, this is the Son of God, take care of him. No, he was born just like every single one of us was born. He was born in the same way that children are born today, although with much less pain medication, I imagine. So you got to think about this. When Jesus was born, Mary was screaming. Joseph is on the side, and after it's all said and done, his hand is probably crushed as she was holding on to him as she's having the baby. Jesus was born crying, and he's covered in fluids, and he needs to be cleaned up just like any other baby. Somebody had to smack Jesus' bottom to get him to start crying. Now, can you imagine being this midwife, right? At this point, it's just another kid. They're helping out. Whoever's there uh, smacks Jesus' bottom. He starts crying. He gets moving on. And then 30 years later, you start hearing stories about this Jesus guy. Who's God? And you, oh my goodness. I spanked Jesus. I spanked the Son of God. Can you imagine what's going through your head if you're that person? I hope this doesn't get counted against me. I literally smacked God on the butt. Can you imagine? You guys must read the Bible differently than I do. I, I see this stuff and I'm wondering what happened there. Jesus was well and truly born. He was actually a baby. He was a baby boy. Five fingers on each hand. Five what? This is how people get their eyes burned out with laser light. He had five toes on each foot. He was the real deal. He was, a, he was a, a healthy baby boy. And this is what humbling himself to become a human looked like. He didn't come fully formed and fully grown. All super strong. He came as a baby that needed to be taken care of. That needed to be... Had Mary not taken care of Jesus, Jesus would have died. He didn't have special powers. He, wasn't spe he was a human baby. And if we know he was born, then we can surmise a few more things. How many know that dogs don't give birth to cats? Camels don't give birth to zebra. And humans don't give birth to anything else but humans. Unless it's a Hollywood movie, but I think we can safely count those out of the picture. Humans give birth to humans. And the logic is simple. To understand if you think about it you know as they say if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's probably a duck well if in this case if it looks like a human and he cried like a human and he was born like a human then he was human jesus was human this is how that works when you become flesh and you humble yourself setting aside your deity to be born as man to be found in human form this is what it looks like Jesus was fully man in every single way that we are. Did you know that Jesus got tired and he got hungry and he got thirsty? This is what it says here in John 4, 6. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus was wearied. 
Not only was he born, which is evidence enough, but Jesus lived his life with the same needs as any of us. You know, too often for those of us that, that, that have come to the understanding that Jesus is God, we look at his life and we think he somehow lived uh, with like elevated superpowers or something and he didn't deal with the same stuff the rest of us did. But it, it wasn't easy for him. The truth was he dealt with all the same stuff that we did. He was tired. He was on a journey and he got tired. Now, if he was God, if he was operating in the full power of God, do you think he would have got tired? No, but he set that aside and he lived as a man just like us. Oh, and I'm thankful for that because if Jesus got tired, then I'm in good company. I mean, have you ever woke up one morning and it's Sunday morning? Not this morning, but it's Sunday morning and you're tired and you don't want to get up and go to church and you argue with yourself and you fight with yourself because you're tired? Jesus did the same thing. There were times when he was tired. There were times when I imagine he didn't want to do things. There were times he got frustrated and irritated. I bet there were mornings he didn't want to get up and deal with the disciples. We already know he got frustrated with them time from time, right? How long must I deal with this generation? I bet there were mornings he didn't want to get up. I know there was at least one boat ride he didn't want to get up. Remember the disciples woke him up and he yelled at him? Like, why don't you deal with this? I was sleeping. That's the New Wayne translation. That's pretty much what it said. You know, Jesus got hungry too. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I flipped the scriptures. Matthew 4, 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus got hungry. He got thirsty. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Why did he do those things? Because he was human, just like us. I imagine when he was growing up, going to temple, being dragged to church, because that's how kids are. They don't like going to church, so I imagine he was the same way. Being dragged to church, at least when he was, he was littler. And he gets going, and, he, and he's sitting there in church, and he's listening to the preacher preach. It's like, oh, would you hurry up? I'm so hungry. I just wanna, I just wanna go and have some wings and watch the game. I just want he was just like us. Well, actually, I imagine the difference was he took every thought captive and he stayed focused. Much like all these young kids here do today. They're never distracted passing phones around or anything like that. They just pay attention to oh, and mom started the phone passing, so this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus, he was just like us. He went through the, the, same, the same stuff that, that we went through. The Bible says, and we're going to look at it in a second, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he was tempted in every way that we were tempted. He had the same thoughts that we had. The only difference is, is he handled them perfectly, whereas sometimes we handle, handle things sinfully, amen? He had the same physical requirements as any other human does he had to eat he had to drink he had to sleep he had to exercise he got joy from the same things we get joy from and he felt pain from the same things that we felt pain from and when you begin to see this stuff in so many ways jesus wasn't so different than us and that was by design luke 252 we learned that jesus actually had to grow and jesus had to learn 
Luke 52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know what it takes to increase in stature? Increase in wisdom and increase in favor? In order to increase, you have to have a lower level of it first. And that means that Jesus didn't know everything. Matter of fact, he had to increase in favor with God. And speaking of God the Father here. He had to, to increase in favor. He didn't know everything. He actually had to grow. He had to learn. He was born with limited knowledge, just like each and every one of us. Mark 13, 32 says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus, who was God, didn't know everything. He does now, now that he's back with the Father. But when he walked on this earth as a man, like us, he didn't know everything. Did you know Jesus wasn't born with the Scriptures memorized? He actually had to read the Bible. Back then it was scrolls that were found in the temple. They, they say, certain scholars say, that if you read what Jesus typically quoted, he often quoted from Isaiah almost exclusively. And they say it's likely because in those days, the temples in the smaller towns, they didn't have a copy of every book of the Old Testament. They didn't have a copy of everything. So probably one of the prominent ones that they had at the, the, at the, the temple where he grew up or the, the synagogue where he grew up was the book of Isaiah. And that's why he quotes it so often because that's the one he studied and learned and memorized. He, but he actually had to learn this stuff. It wasn't, he didn't get a supernatural download different than the rest of us. He had to spend time studying them and learning them. As a man, he also had to develop a relationship with God the Father. He spent time with Him. He spoke with Him. We often find Jesus in prayer in worship. In Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, it says, He came out and went, as was His custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed Him. And we know that when He went up there, He went to pray, and He went to worship. And we see that Jesus had to develop the same relationship as us. You remember when Mary and Joseph lost him at Passover? That had to have been scary. Can you imagine that prayer? So God, we lost you. I know it'll take a little while, but can we make another? I mean, like, they, they lost Jesus. Understand? They lost God. They lost Jesus. The one who was coming to save the world. They've been doing good for so many years, and then they lost him. What were we going to do now? What did Jesus say? He said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Because Jesus spent time with the Father. Jesus spent time developing a relationship. We can think to ourselves how easy it must have been for Jesus to do everything because he was God. But the reality was is when he walked on this earth, he set that aside and he was a man just like us. And he limited himself to be like us. Which also gives us encouragement because if Jesus did it and his life is now the life that's inside of us, that means that we can do it too. Amen. We also find that Jesus grieved as well. In Matthew 14, 10 through 13, it says he sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus and now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the town. Jesus felt the pain of loss, just like we feel it. When his cousin was killed, his cousin John was killed, the Bible says that he, that he grieved. When Jesus heard that, that, that John had died, he, he went and withdrew 
to a boat to a desolate place by himself because he wanted to grieve. Because he was hurting because his cousin was, was, was just killed and he wanted to get away and spend some time to work through it just like any of us would want to. He probably wanted to spend some time talking to God about it. And what he went through makes it ideal to be somebody that could comfort us and be there for us. Because have you, have you ever been through something tough? Something really bad and then someone comes to comfort you but you know they've never actually experienced what, they're, what you're going through? And the sentiment is nice but they just don't understand. They don't really get it. But that's the thing about Jesus. He went through all the things that we would have gone through. He suffered loss. He suffered hurt. And because of that, when he comforts us, when God comforts us, it's not just uh, a nice gesture or a platitude from an outside looking in, but it's from a position of someone who's experienced the exact same thing. Jesus has been there. He's gone through what you're going through. He's not just sympathetic, but he's empathetic because he can actually feel what you're feeling. He doesn't just see our pain and our concern and want to fix it, but he understands fully because he's already felt it himself when he lived as a man on this earth. And he approaches us in our time of need, not as someone who doesn't understand and is just waiting for us to get over it, but someone who has gone through it and is willing to embrace us and walk through us with it providing comfort, empathetic to what we're going through because he experienced it himself. And you also see amazing things about Jesus too. This is what he's going through right now. But the crowds figured out where he was. They followed him and they found him. And we read a little bit later in verse 14, it says, he had compassion on the crowds and he healed their sick. He's going through all this, but he still cared about the people around him he's an inspiration for for us he's a a model for us because even when he was hurt he put others first i don't know me personally when i'm hurt i want to be comforted i don't want to be doing the comforting but jesus sets a different example for us jesus also wept and he also marveled in john 11 32 through 35 it says now when mary came to where jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet saying to him lord If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. And it's one that's so powerful because we see that Jesus is feeling emotion because he cares about how others are feeling. Now, why do I say that? Because if you know this, this really didn't come as a shock to Jesus. You can read in John eleven three through 6, they actually told him that Lazarus was ill and he needed to come home. And then Jesus finds out that he's ill and he waits a few more days before he actually heads back to Lazarus. I'm like, well, that's strange. Jesus could have healed him. As a matter of fact, that's what his sister says. <laughs> just like, why weren't you here? If you had been here, you could have saved him. But Jesus didn't come on purpose. This has been his plan the whole time. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he was good, well, and dead before he came back because he planned on demonstrating the power of God when he got there and as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, if Jesus knew he was going to do that, why did he weep? Certainly wasn't for Lazarus because he knew what was going to happen with him. But he wept because the people around him were all weeping. 
And because they were weeping, he was deeply moved. Because they were upset. Jesus was upset because people that he cared for and he loved were upset. And he herded with them. And that's why he wept. And we also find that not only that, but Jesus gets, is filled with wonder at things as well. I don't have the verse up there for it, but I'll read it to you. Um, in Matthew 8.10, we see that things appeared wondrous and incredible to Jesus. Matthew 8.10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. You know, there was, if Jesus wasn't fully man, if he hadn't set his deity aside as God, there would be nothing that could surprise him or cause him to marvel or wonder. That makes sense in my head because as God, he knows everything. But because he set that aside, we find instances of Jesus marveling, standing in wonder. I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. As God, nothing could have taken him by surprise. But as man, he experienced that same emotion just as we do. And we see that there are actually two things that make Jesus marvel. Do you guys remember what those are? Great faith and great lack of faith. Those two things make Jesus marvel. But we see again that he weeps. He marvels. He became troubled. In Matthew 26, 36 through 29, it says, Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Things bother Jesus just like things bother us. Now you know the story here. Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And, and as you fully go through this, as he's praying, he, he gets so distressed that he, 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 he sweats blood. And he says, God, if there's anything else that could happen, if you could take this cup away from me, do it. Because he was distraught. He was troubled. He was upset. He had an idea what he was going to go through because he certainly felt physical pain just like us. And following through on his calling wasn't easy. Just like sometimes for us, it's not that easy. He was bothered by what he was going to have to endure. That upset him because he had the same human emotions that we have. He had the same things that he went through. He had the same full range of emotion that we do. And just like us, when we're scared or we're worried or we're afraid, he called out to his father. At least it should be like us. If that's not you, you should make that correction. Start reaching out to your Father. Amen. We also see that when Jesus walked on this earth, He did nothing of His own. Matthew 26, 36-39, it says, Then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little farther, He fell on His face and He prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. This is a little bit further as he's up there praying. But it says, oh, I just didn't read all the way through. Sorry, this isn't the right scripture. Why didn't somebody tell me? Hallelujah. This is uh, the rest of that as you go farther. Praise God. John 5.30, that's the one we're talking about. I can do nothing on my own. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He says, I do nothing on my own. That's the thing we wonder. Why did he cry out in prayer at Gethsemane? Because he does nothing on his own. Because as a, as a man, Jesus needed God the Father and the Holy Spirit just as much as any of us do today. 
He could do nothing on his own. He fully trusted and relied on the Father. The same as we should. Once again, he is our example. Just as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, we should be doing the same. John 1, 2, 6, uh, 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's one of the reasons why when we look at Jesus, we refer to him as perfect theology. He lays out exactly how things should be and he is our example. But the Bible says in John here that he does nothing of his own. And if you've read the book of John, you'll see that there are multiple examples of Jesus operating in some supernatural ways, but he doesn't do it of his own power or, or, or because he laid a, the Bible says he laid aside his deity. So how does he do it? It's in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same as we do us. As we do us, as we do too. He operated in the same way. And we, we find out that, that when he received a, a word of knowledge, when he saw Nathaniel under the tree, he says, I, I, before you were there, I knew you. He knew you was there before Jesus ever got to him. And he received a word of knowledge once again when he told women at the well, the woman at the well, everything that she had ever done. If he had laid his deity aside, and we know that he, had to, he didn't know everything, he had to grow in knowledge. If he did all that, how did, he, how did he operate this way? The same way that you and I would in the power of the Holy Spirit. The reality was is that Jesus was like us in every respect. Hebrews 12, 14-17 says, Therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who were through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. If you read just a little bit later, verses, um, uh, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, you'll see this sentiment repeated again. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in our time of need. So not only is he like us in every respect, he's been tempted in every respect, just as we are as well. Because Jesus took on a human body to save our bodies, to save our souls, to make us brand new. He took on a human mind to, to save our human minds. And with a human man and his emotions... He could save our emotions. He became just like us to save us. And without taking human form, he wouldn't have been able to save us in human form. That's why it says right here, surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. If he was there to help angels, he would have to become an angel. But instead, because he wasn't an angel, he was there to help the offspring of Abraham, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. To be just like us. And we also saw that Jesus was tempted in every respect just like us as well. Jesus understands our weaknesses. When you wonder if somehow you're unique and you're dealing with a situation, a sin you're struggling with and you think that how can I ever defeat this? Know that Jesus was tempted in the exact same way that you were tempted. 
The difference between Jesus and us is that all of us are tempted in some ways. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he overcame. And his life is inside of you, so you're able to, able to overcame, overcame, overcome. Man, I'm having some word issues today. Hallelujah. We were, he was able to overcome, so we are able to overcome. Amen. And this is why we can draw, draw near to the throne of grace with, with boldness, because we understand, or he understands what we're going through. And his son gave his life so that we would be made pure and holy and we could go to him and ask for help. And he doesn't respond with, with judgment, but he responds with grace and mercy. And he made a way for us. And then we'll end here. In 1 John 4, 2-3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You know, there's an idea that gets floated around that Jesus was not really man. He just appeared as a man. He was just God in a man suit, apparently. So he was always fully God. He just took on the appearance of man to fit in so he could walk among us. But I think you'll agree with me as we look at the Scripture that that just doesn't line up with what the Scripture says. The Scripture says he laid aside his deity. He was born. He lived his life with the same needs and emotions and feelings as all of us. It wasn't a costume or an image or a mirage. It was the real deal. He was fully man. And it was necessary for the purpose and plan of salvation because he had to be made like us in every respect so that he could die for us and pay for us in every respect. And it's for this reason that John says that anyone who confesses that Jesus did not come in the flesh is not from God. But if you confess that he did come in the flesh, you're from God because you understand what God is saying. Jesus is the one who carried out God's plan for salvation. And Jesus becoming a man was a very necessary part for that salvation to happen. And to deny that he was man is to be in opposition to the plan of God for our salvation. He lived on earth fully man. He lived as our example and our inspiration. He dealt with all the same problems and issues and temptations that we do. He felt the same feelings and had the same longings as any one of us. And he can sympathize and empathize with every single one of our dealings because he's experienced it. And as such, because he became just like us, he was able to be a replacement for us on that cross. He was able to die the death that we should have died for us. Because he was just like us. He was a suitable replacement, a suitable sacrifice for us so that we might not die to sin, but instead live the life that he's given us. He sets us free. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Only three minutes and 30 seconds over after my time reset, so we're good to go there. Hallelujah. Now, Father, 
I just thank you for everybody in this room. I'm so blessed to have so many people to walk alongside me who love God. But as we study the Word of God, you know, the, the reality is, is that we want to increase His kingdom. We don't want the, the people to have the opportunity to receive that free gift of salvation, to only be the people in this room. We want to extend it to anybody who's not received it. And as I look around the room, um, I think everybody in here has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but certainly there are people that will be listening to this online that may not have. And I want you to know right now as we've studied who Jesus was is, is the reality that it was God who came in the flesh and He set aside His deity to become like man, to become like us, because He loved you. He loved you so much that He was willing to set everything aside to live like we did and then give up His life so that all of your sins, all of your failures, all of your fallings could be paid for. And in doing so, if you received that free gift, if you put your trust in Him, if you believe that He lived and He died on the cross for your sins, and you received that free gift of salvation, then you were made brand new. You were completely forgiven of every wrong you've ever committed, and truthfully, any, any, any sin, any failure that you'll commit in the future you will be forgiven. And the great thing about it is, is He didn't die just so you'd be forgiven, but He died so that you would have a brand new life. All of those things that are holding you down, all of those things that are creeping in and trying to pull you down, causing you to fail, you are completely free from those things. You have complete freedom and are able to walk without the shame and guilt of those things. You're finally able to live without sin if you receive that free gift and put your trust in Jesus who gave his life for you. So if that's you this morning and you want to place your trust in Jesus, is there anybody in this room that hasn't received Jesus Christ and the Lord and Savior that would like to receive him as the Lord and Savior? Just lift your hand up. I didn't think so. And if there's anybody online and you would like to receive that free gift of salvation, I just want you to, to say this simple prayer with me. Father, I thank you that you gave your life on the cross for me that you died the death that I should have died and you paid for all of my sins and all of my failures. And I put my trust in you and I call you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.